Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. This is Season 2 with a brand new series on the book of Daniel. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Okay, so I I know things out in the world, everywhere is crazy. That's not changing. Jesus is coming back, and he is king, okay? And so whatever goes on, we'll we'll try to do everything being sensitive to one another, understanding there's some things we'll feel a little different about, but we don't feel different about Jesus being king, right? Right. So that's going to be front and center. Let's give deference to one another and all that. So this is a quiz question I'm going to give you right now. I'm telling you, it's a pop quiz. Because, my wife's still talking. No, because, <laughs> oh, it's funny. She asked me about this. I said, you, weren't here, you were right here for announcements and you were talking. So this is a pop quiz, okay? Historic, first time something's going to happen here for the first time this week. What is it? Raise your hand. Don't say out loud. Raise your hand if you know. Look at how few people know this. And Mike gave the announcement. You don't count. Okay, what's going to be happening here? Who wants to get, who wants, to, who wants, I'll, I'll let you be volunteer. I won't call on somebody. Tom, you want to do that? What, what's happening? Good Friday service is going to be here at what time? Five o'clock, okay? So we've not done that here. Um, I heard a lot of voices say five, which means they didn't know what was going on, but they knew it was going to happen. <laughs> okay, so are you crediting yourself for the announcement? Okay, that's good. Um, that's the first time we've done it. We're just, there's certain things in the church we're figuring out. Um, so how many, how many of the youth were here on doing the, uh, talent show Friday night? 20. Okay. So I heard it was, did it get recorded? Okay. I heard it was screaming funny. So youth were down here Friday night doing a talent show. It's great space for that. The kids space, we're figuring out rhythms, how to use that. We have people here today that haven't been here in two years. God's good, isn't he? And uh, it's just, it's interesting being in this season right here with Holy Week, Palm Sunday, where the Stations of the Cross were doing up at Sawyer, so Mike had that announcement, so he can go up and do that during the week. Good Friday service both places, and then Easter here. Um, How consistent are you? Man, I, I like to be, I like to think I was consistent. I like to be more consistent than I am. And it's just a really good season right now to lean into the Lord. And when you think about what this day is as far as Palm Sunday and the fickleness of the crowd, what appears by cheering for him on one Sunday and how it's not that many days later, how quickly do they get up? Doesn't that, isn't that perplexing when you think about it? Yeah, when I see my own inconsistencies, I realize me too. So as we're coming into the God, we're still in Galatians today, okay? Um, we're going to see that show up again. And I, there's some things I want us to see in terms of the relationship Jesus is calling us to, which that is exactly what this cross is about. That's why it's here. We'll, we'll actually talk about that on Good Friday a little bit. But he did this in our place so we could come close to God, so he could bring us near, even though he's never been far away. 
our own sing, our own junk, all that stuff has actually created a wall that Jesus took care of. And it's one of the things we experience as the church gathers again and again. So it, it's good. It's good to be here very much. All right, let me give some introduction. Uh, Grace and Aiden are going to read the scripture passage. Do you guys have the mic? Okay, good. So I'm going to give some introduction like I usually do to this. So if you would turn, turn to Galatians 4. And, you know, again, what we try to do in the beginning of this is kind of set up the conversation because there's some things that have already happened. So that's what I mean to do in, in, in the beginning here. Paul, if, I don't know if you notice this, Paul's used an awful lot of contrast in trying to describe uh, these things. But really, the two systems that he's contrasting, I'm going to use a few words. There's this, uh, sometimes I use the word legalism, a system that's based on, I need to do these kind of things in order to have standing before God. So he used the term works of the law and so forth, versus in contrast, the gospel of grace. And I'm going to say this, the gospel of grace, our entire lifetime, we will be exploring. That God has taken the initiative to love us first, to have mercy on us. And that if I do the right things, God will love me more. That's how I gain access. So they had a certain form of that, both in Greek culture and in Jewish culture. But that's, that's the contrast that he's setting up all the way along. What he just did in the paragraph before is he says, he's describing the beauties of what God has done. He says, God has redeemed you and adopted you, making you heirs of his. So that's just a couple verses before what we're reading. I just want to think about it again because he's saying this system over here, it's religious slavery. You're bound in it. and It's a trap. The problem is you think you're good and you're not. It's a trap. This is where freedom is and it's walking the spirit. So what he said is God has redeemed you and adopted you making ears. Just think about it for a second. That word redemption means what? It literally means to buy back this is where that's paid, where Jesus pays the price. He buys us back. We're out of slavery. We're free. But he doesn't leave us alone that way. He redeemed us. But he said, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. I'm, an, you know, I'm not a or- little orphan kid. I'm going to get crap for myself. I'm free, and then I'm what? What's the next word he used? Redeemed and adopted. Adopted. He brought us into his family. So I'm not just free and I can run around, but I got to do this myself. No, I'm adopted into his family. I'm his child, he says. And if you are so, you're not a slave. You're a son, adoption language. You're his heir. That's the future for us. That's what he's done for those who belong to him as we're singing it, which is pretty amazing. So in, in that paragraph, he's about, here's all that God has done. This, this paragraph or two, he switches back the tone. And the tone is his father, a fatherly concern. Don't go that way. (laughs) He's he's calling it out after he's just done the beauties. And we've seen that tone a number of times in the letter. I mean, chapter one, he says, why are you so quickly deserting the one who called you? In chapter three, he says, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? And so he's kind of going back. So he weaves back and forth. Here's what God has done. Don't do this. And today it's going to be this kind of language. Are you squandering your adoption? Are you giving up your freedom in Christ for a form of religious slavery? And and you'll get, as as we read this, it's super personal. In fact, Paul's appeal to them is based on their close personal relationship. He's, he's, He's playing all the cards he can in order to wake them up to think about what you're doing. Think about it. So if I'd kind of summarize kind of the idea of what we're going to read here, this is this 
This is a spiritual father who's concerned that legalism will prevent Christ from being formed within his children. So that phrase, I think, as I use the title, until Christ is formed in you is where this passage ends. And that's what I want us to think toward and what that means. Ah, Where's Jerry at? Jerry and I were talking about this actually uh, before the service. So here's kind of the flow of thought. And kind of got three ways he did. Uh, verses 8 to 11, he's saying, remember what God did. Remember what God did. He, he freed you from slavery to actually knowing God. And we'll talk about what that means. Um, he's saying, do you want to go back? Remember what God did. Then remember how you first responded to the gospel and to me. He's calling back those, those first days. And then what he does is he recalls to them the goals of the Judaizers, that's these false teachers, and Paul's goals. They're very different. And he says, as we read it, the Judaizers, they want to shut you out of grace. But I want Christ to be formed in you. Those are very different things. So let's uh, pay attention to the text as Aiden and Grace come and read Galatians chapter 4, 8 through 20. This is God's word. Formerly, when you did not... Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn and despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as, Jesus, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little ch until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Father, we hear that tone in the apostles' words. So we know that what he's writing about is of great concern to him, and you've got it recorded for us. So we also know that we don't always see ourselves really accurately. Father, if any of us is trusting in something other than you or more than you, trusting in ourselves in some way, Lord, would you show that to us? We don't tend to sense what it is we truly trust. And Father, would it be you'd use your word today to urge us more towards Christ and even something that would be part of forming Christ in us, that we'd understand that more, desiring it, and receiving that from you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to encourage you to have your Bibles open because there's certain words that you want to see. I, I wish I'd, um, there's things in the text that I wish I would have heard the, the way uh, the class went because there's a couple questions in here. But I'm going to kind of walk through this in the three steps. The first one being, God freed you from religious slavery, but legalism is turning you back. So let me read those verses again. 
Notice the relational language. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So the first part of that, notice how he says, um, now that you've come to know God or rather be known by God, what's he speaking of? So there's different terms people use. Sometimes someone says, I got saved. Or someone says, I was... um, I became a Christian, or I was born again. Um, I have liked the term saying they were spiritually awakened, but now that woke language messes me up on using that one. But spiritually awakened, because what it is, is coming to Christ essentially, it's a work of God where he does something in you. You respond in faith, but it's like waking up. I heard, uh, actually one of my kids said when they came to this, they said, man, it's like, I, I believe these things in my head, but it's like when God did this in me, um, I now see in color where before it was black and white. So I just use the term spiritual awakening. John 3 language is where Jesus says it, born again or born from above. That's what he's talking about, is that thing. But notice the language that he used here, very relational. He says, previously, what's the phrase? Previously, you did not, what's he say? It's not up here. You got to use your Bibles. Previously, you did not know God, but now what has happened? You have come to know God, or rather, be known by God. So think of that language in terms of what I would say spiritually awakened. I didn't know God before. Now I do know him, or rather, I've been known by him. So I used to tell this story what I want to do is draw a distinction between knowing about God and knowing him. Because I think there's a huge difference. So I, I used to tell the story about uh, when the Chicago Bulls were good. Anybody remember when the Chicago Bulls were good? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm talking about before Derrick Rose. Remember when the Chicago Bulls were good? I'm sorry. I'm talking about before MJ. Less hands up. Anybody? Come on. I need old guys like me. Do you remember? Pete, you got anybody on that team? Can you remember anybody? Bob Love, Butterbean Love, Chet the Jet Walker, Jerry Sloan, Storm and Norman Van Leer. We never remember the center because they changed around. They were good back then. Yeah, Borwinkel was the 74, 75. Those other guys were there, 72, 73. I'm old. I remember it. Oh, I didn't live in Chicago back in those days, but I came to Chicago in 76. Chet the Jet Walker played where in high school? Ben Harbor. Went to Bradley University. Um, is in the Hall of Fame, I think, Chet is. Okay? Well, Chet had retired by the time I came to Chicago at Moody Bible Institute in 1976. Uh, our athletic director lived in the same building as Storm and Norman Van Leer, so I got in the pool with Storm and Norman, played basketball with Chet Walker. Wow. So Moody back in those days didn't have a great gym, so we had to go down and use the Lawson YMCA. So you remember those old city gyms? No sidelines, walls all the way around it. Looks like a big ba- a racquetball court. So he'd come down, 76, might have been spring of 77. He's not that long retired. 
And uh, I remember, I'm not that good, okay, but I love basketball. So I remember one time we're coming down, and I hit a fadeaway from the baseline, and Chet was right there in the lane. And I don't remember if I did something, but I'm sure I was pretty excited in a way that, like, it leaked out of me. I don't remember what I did, but I do remember what happened. Next time we came down, he was like across the key. And I'm going for that same shot. And you know what happened to that shot? You ever seen a racquetball bounce around the court like this? He blocked that thing so hard, came out of nowhere, and boom! And I just remember like, whoa, this guy's good. But it was so fun playing. Now let me tell you, here's why I tell you a story. I could tell you all kinds of things about Chet, as I already have where he played high school, where he played college, what it was like in his season. And if you said, do you know Chet Walker? I'd go like, yeah, play basketball with, I know Chet Walker. Did I know Chet Walker? I didn't know him. Just because I played basketball with him one time, he blocked my shot. Just because I could tell you a bunch of his stats. I could tell you a lot about him. I didn't know him. That's the language here. There's a lot of people that know lots of things about God. They can tell you lots of things in the Bible. Even They don't know them. They don't have that, that personal relationship. That's the distinction he's drawn here between this form of religion, this religious slavery. It's got all these things. doesn't actually know him. You know about him, but you don't know him. What does he say here? The truth is, <clears throat> he says, not only do you know, now you're actually known by God. I want you to know this. For all those that belong to Jesus, God really knows you. He knows what you dream. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows your weaknesses. And it doesn't push him away. Draws, draws him closer. That's from Hebrews. He knows you. He knows what you love. He knows how you're made. He knows what will actually satisfy you. He he knows, he knows you better than you know yourself. To be known is to be loved. That's, that's, true, that's true Christianity. I don't like using the word Christianity sometimes because it's such a broad term and it's become meaningless. But that's the genuine thing. See, religion knows about God, but a genuine Christianity, it's a relationship of faith that Jesus has created with it. Adoption, that language he's used, that, think of it that way, that God, he's chosen to love his children, to love us first. So what he's saying to these Galatians, he said, you have been freed from religious slavery. Do you want to return now? What are they, what are they doing? So these were presumably, because of where that, they were not Jewish, they were Gentiles. So if you think of Greek religion, uh, if you think of, you know, um, Parthenon, whatever you studied in history in terms of the Greeks, they were trading Greek pagan idolatry for a Jewish legalism. They are Gentile believers now who've been freed from the idolatry of worship to the Greek gods. And so like if, if you read the, the letter to Corinth and all that, there's a lot of, um, so there's sacrifices offered. There's a lot of sexual immorality, temple prostitutes. I mean, it's a, it's a twisted kind of thing going on. So you've left that, God's freed you from that, but now you're returning to a slavery of a different kind. It's a Jewish legalism. That you think you do these things, now you're, you're being this before God, which he calls here, it's weak and worthless elementary principles of the world where you're observing days and months and seasons and years. 
I don't think I have this in my notes. You could look at Colossians chapter two, I think it's around verses 14 through 17, where he speaks of that specifically also there. What's this religious slavery? So let's, let's think about it maybe in terms of our, our terminology understanding also, but it's this, when you think you're standing before God is determined by your performance or your religious rule keeping. So we use a different kind of example. <clears throat> I went to a, a Bible college in Chicago that I respect greatly. I learned a lot. Uh, no place is perfect, but I, but I learned a ton there. Um, there was a common question that would be asked amongst the students or whatever. You may have heard this thing, but say, hey, did you have your devotions today? Devotion, that's not a bad thing. But it did a subtle thing for many. It placed the emphasis in a subtle way on the wrong step. You just do that and you're good, as if doing that gains you somewhere. Now, let me ask you this. Good spiritual habits, good for us or bad for us? Well, they're good, right? It's not the habit, it's wrong. But it's to make them the basis of our standing before God where the trap is. And therein, they become religious enslavement. The good thing becomes a tyrant. The meaning of it's lost. So why would I read the Bible? Because I want to know God. It's not where I'm getting merits or he, I want to know God. How would I know him? This is where he reveals himself. He is nothing like us. And I don't get that. I don't get that from the media. I don't get that from most preaching on TV. His word is going to tell me things that I won't like. It'll tell me things about God that are counterintuitive. It'll call me to a life that is, it's strange. It's otherworldly and it's beautiful. It is. I won't get that any other place. He's revealed himself. Why would I read the word? Because I want to know him. And he's offered that. It's his revelation of himself. That's why he superseded that he's written it down for us. We don't gain standing before God before we do it. The Lord wants our hearts, our souls, our strengths, our mind, all of us, not a compliant obedience. Okay? So you get the difference? It's subtle and it's significant. And most people that call themselves, I'm going to do worse than that, that call themselves Christians do not understand the difference. That's also why Jesus said, some of you will say, Lord, Lord, but we did these things in your name. We, did, we cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. We did all these things in your name. He goes, depart from me. I never knew you. Same language. Never knew you. And in some way, that's the distinction Paul's trying to draw them into. That's what it is. And he used, the word he used from the first chapter, it actually becomes a distortion of the gospel. True Christianity is unique in this, okay? And so we're going to end here with where he ends about Christ being formed in you. It's very different language. It's a very different aim. It's a gospel aim. It's what goes on in us. And there's many of us in terms of how we've grown up or what we perceive, we think Christianity is, it's confining that it's a bunch of rules. It's not slavery, friends, it's sonship. It's spiritual adoption. It's knowing God's love in a very, very real way. Legalism, to use that term again, that appeals to our flesh. It appeals to our self-effort. It appeals to ourselves, yet actually it results in being shut out of grace. Grace yields a relationship with God. It's knowing God and being known by him. It's Christ being formed in us. That's his aim. That's what he's trying to distinguish. 
All right, second part of this, verses 12 to 15. Um, remember how you first responded to the gospel and to me, Paul. So he's going to get, he's going to get personally. He's trying to apply leverage, but he does it out of love. And he just recalls, so I'm going to read it again. Um, Brothers and sisters, I entreat you become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because, he's recalling when he first preached there and planted, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel. An angel of God is Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So, when he first preached, warm response or cold response? What was her response? Warm or cold? It was very warm. He says that you receive me like an angel of God, like Christ Jesus himself. Why did he go there to preach to them? Why was he there? What's verse 13 say? Why is he preaching there? What, what's that? I'm there because I have a physical ailment. Something happened to me, a bodily. That's why I preached the gospel to you at first. Think about this. And he says, and you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Is that expression of love or hatred? That's love. So some people go like, they think Paul's ailment was his eyes. Uh, could be, but that expression, uh, we, you would have gouged out your eyes for me if you could. Was an expression used back? I would have given you my life, anything. So we don't know what it was, but here's the point. This is very important. Paul's ailment became God's opportunity. Paul's ailment became God's opportunity. So here's what I want you to understand. This is very significant as he's doing this. In weakness, God is seen. This seems strange to us. And it is counterintuitive. But friends, this is God's normal way of working. God delights to work in weakness. That displays his kindness. It displays his goodness. It displays his power and might and his glory. He loves to do it this way. This is his normal way. I don't know if you remember it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. He says something pretty similar. Um, He says, for we have this treasure in jars of clay. Pause. What's this? But what he says in the verse before that is he's speaking of the gospel, the light of the gospel. When the gospel comes into you, it lights you up. You're spiritually alive. He he speaks of it being the same kind of light as when God in creation called light out of darkness. That's what it is in your life. When someone says like, it's like the lights went on. That's what it is. That's what God did. That's the treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay. How strong is a clay jar? You'd be careful when you carry it in your car if you've got a rock back there because the rock is going to bust. Clay jars are not strong. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? Why? It's to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not us. This is God's design. He loves to work in weakness. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not us. We're afflicted in every way. We're not crushed. 
We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. COVID was perplexing in many things, right? People that are walking with Jesus, people that got Jesus, in, that he's forming us, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Do you hear even the death and resurrection theme? The call. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal lives. That's the call to us. Problem is, we got a different mentality naturally. Don't we want to sing, We are the champions? Don't we love the story, the rags, the riches, the testimony? Look what God did, the power. My friends, you may never have that. You might not ever. But let me hear this. That does not mean that God does not love you. It actually might mean that he loves you more because he wants to form Christ in you. He wants to change you from inside that you actually look more like Jesus. The problem is we focus on outcomes. I just, don't you just want life easier? It ain't getting easy till heaven. The problem is I can lean on the wrong things. I just want this thing done. The actually, the more important thing is that Christ is being formed in us. And it happens through weakness. It's his normal way. It's Jesus' call. When he calls his disciples, he says, the son of man must suffer many things and die. And Peter rebukes him. Jesus, that's not the way the Messiah is going to be. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then he says, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. This is his call to us. But part of it is we got, there's some things that have to be laid down. And it's not bad. It's how his life comes to us. It's to show that the surpassing greatness is whose? His. That's, that's what is needed. Jesus builds his kingdom through normal, weak people who depend on him. And guess what? That's how he is seen. This world needs that as much or more as it ever has. That's how he gets glory, not us. That's how he gives hope to others, true gospel hope. We have a God who delights to work in weakness. In fact, Jesus says, and Paul says, it is necessary, and that is contrary to other religions, especially a religion that's based on performance. That's huge. <laughs> I'm there because of bodily ailment gospels preached. Now here's a dagger in verse 16. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So he said, I've been speaking the gospel. Have I become your enemy? So what, what's happening here is the opposition to Paul is not only saying Paul's message is wrong, they are vilifying Paul himself. And it's had an effect on this church that he planted. He's not there all the time. He planted the church. He's going to plant other churches. And they're they're hearing this stuff going like, oh, maybe this isn't true. Oh, maybe Paul did it for bad reasons. And, and have I become your enemy now? Vilified. So don't be surprised also if in following Christ you get vilified, right? It happens. I hate it. I don't want it. Who likes that? But Jesus says it happened to me. It's probably going to happen to you. It probably will. And there's stuff that will happen in the future to some of us you have no idea of. And I'm gr glad God hasn't told us ahead of time. 
Because if he told me ahead of time, I'd check it out. He won't. He'll, but when, when it happens, you know what will happen? He'll be right there with you. Just means of forming Christ in you. It tells you only as much as we need to know, and that's depending on him in faith and walking with him in faith. That's actually really good, isn't it? Isn't it really good to know that you don't have to have all those answers? You don't have to work it out? You don't have to have the solution ahead of time? He wants Christ formed in you. This is what he's doing. So those kind of attacks, they, they will happen to Paul, they'll happen to people, they'll happen to us. We shouldn't be surprised. I mean, imagine your local business owner and you're being asked to support or to promote a cause that you know is contrary to scripture. What, what are you going to do? That happens. I know that's happened to people in our community. What do you do? And whatever decision you make, it may be one that will cost something. Um, this one's not, a, not an attack, but I... We've got a good friend, some of you guys know, he's, he's going to be opening up uh, the food section at, um, at Local Poor up in Sawyer. And he's decided, if we do this, I, I want to worship my family on Sunday, so they're not going to be open on Sunday. That's like crazy to people. You can't have a business and not be open on Sunday. But you're like, that's his decision. I'm like, man, I'm going to support you in it. People don't understand it, but it's following Christ will be things that we do that won't be understood. That's okay. He'll be with us. He'll be with us. Final section, 17 to 20. Here he's recalling, as a great con, the, the, the Judaizers' goals for the Galatians, that's the false teachers, the legalists, and Paul's goals. The Judaizers' goals, they want, you'll see the phrase, they want the Galatians to be shut out of grace. Paul, his is he wants Christ formed in them. Verse 17. They make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you you may make much of them. Again, here's what happens. See, legalism, it appeals to our flesh, to our self-effort, to ourselves. But it results in being shut out of grace. That's what it does. Paul's goal, he says it there in that last verse. He says, um, my little children of whom I, again, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I want Christ to take shape in you, to be formed in you. So I don't know how Paul knows the anguish of childbirth, but that's the analogy he uses. Pretty sure he had no personal experience of it, but he knows. I have no personal experience. But I heard my daughter-in-law say a couple of weeks ago, man, that's harder than anything I've ever done. Uh, 24 hours, so worth it. Um, that's, that's, he's, he's using a picture, moms, you know this, of what it was like in labor, how hard it was. That desire is what he has for the Galatians. I want so much for Christ to be formed in you. So what's that mean if Christ formed in us? How do we think about that? So I think he said a very similar expression just previously. Um, I, won't, I don't have it projected, but last week saw in chapter 4, verse 6, where he says, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This language, all the way through here, it's describing how relationship with God, as opposed to this performance, all you, it's how it grows and what are they? Legalism cannot produce this. This is his life, which 
Paul says in chapter 2, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. What do you mean you, you no longer live? I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But the life I now live in this body, I live it how? I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Do you see the intention that's going on there? It's by faith. It's in, it's in the nitty-gritty stuff that he's doing this. Seeing himself, his whatever this is crucified with Christ, and it's Christ in him. God has sent the spirit of his son to live within his children by which he cries out, Abba, Father. He's describing here a spiritual transformation, a change in character. Think of it this way, a change in perspective that his people would think more like Jesus. We would have an eternal perspective, not just am I paying my bills. We'd think further future, not just like next year future, thinking eternally future. It's a very different way of thinking. No one, uh, no one here will understand you outside of church people. I mean, outside of God's people. It won't make sense. Man, I had a wonderful conversation with my brother last night, but we were just on, just describing different things. It's eternal perspective so that you will love like Jesus. What he loves, you will love. You will suffer like Jesus. I wish I did. He did it without complaining. I wish that wouldn't come from me. You will suffer like Jesus. You will walk with the Father like Jesus. So that you can, remember how he does it in the, in the Gospels of John? He's talking with the disciples here and he just starts talking to the Father. The spirit of his son is inside you. That can be for you. I'm, I, I kind of, um, what, what do you say? I mutter to myself? Is that what the word you use? Or, yeah, okay, mutter to myself. It's not a very flattering term, but it's very accurate, actually. Um, sometimes I do that. But sometimes I just start, Muttering to him. That's a little different. Muttering to myself sounds a little more, bit more complaining. But then I just sometimes just start talking to him too. That's, if you haven't yet, do that. I mean, it's his, his spirit's inside. Jesus models that. Just a conversation with God. Prayer, we do formal times of prayer. We do the 21 days of prayer. We, we do gatherings. That's all good. So is this, just talking to the Father out loud. His spirit is inside. The fact that we've been adopted, it radically changes our relationship with God. Radically. To have the spirit of Jesus living within us means in that way, family, there's a family resemblance that he is, by his spirit, making us more like him over time as we lean into that. His character. There's a supernatural dimension to that. It really is. It's not natural. It is a supernatural dimension. I, a, a power in that change, change of character. And I don't, you know, some evangelicals aren't, aren't comfortable speaking of that kind of thing. We want to leave that to the Pentecostals. But in the language of Paul, it's very much that in terms of the Holy Spirit, what he's doing here. Supernatural, and that is the power of Christ to overcome temptation, whatever that is. Jesus tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. The power in prayer 
the Father hears us, the Spirit of Christ, the ability to love while being hated, possessing joy in real trial, persecution, death, being at peace while turmoil is all around, patience with the unresolved, kindness, goodness in the face of real evil, faithfulness to continue your call when others drop out, be that marriage, be that church, be that whatever, gentleness and self-control. Do you know what I just did there? That was the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul gets to later on. We just talked about what that, see, we memorize the fruit of the Spirit. We just walk through what the fruit of the Spirit looks like in real life. We just, we just walk through what it looks like in real life, what it means, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in what God said, who he is. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, delivered himself up for me. All those things I just said, it's the way the fruit of the Spirit walks out in our life. And it is a supernatural power. It's a change you cannot do that he wants to do because he wants to form his son in you. And I don't know how it works in your life. It never happens in my life when it's easy. By God's design. Because I got to need him. And when it's easy, I don't act like I need him. I don't know how you are. But I don't act like it. I don't think like it. I don't pray like it. I wish I was different than that. But the difficulties are actually God's opportunity. Paul's ailment was God's opportunity for the gospel. That's no different for you and me. So I don't know, and, and my job, I just want to preach what this is. My job is not to explain to you why something's happening to you or what God's doing or to make it better. I can't do that. It's beyond my pay, pay grade. But I know this, God loves his children and he wants his son formed in us. And it matters how we respond. And this is how the surpassing power is seen. It probably preaches the gospel better than any any piece of literature you can give somebody. And this is what Paul's appealing to this church for, until Christ is formed in you. Friends, this is the gospel of grace. It is the promise of Christ. It's the good news. It's what God has done. Amen? Let's receive him, the gospel, by faith with complete trust, abandoning our self-rule to him. How do I respond to all this? I just say simply this. Oh. How do you grow any relationship? Lean into this one with intention. Ask him, talk to him, spend time with him. That's what he wants to do. You're in good standing. If you've got any desire for this, guess why you do? Because the Holy Spirit put it there. Doesn't matter how big or small the desire is. A seed, a seed put by him is a seed that grows. That's a good thing. Are we inconsistent and fickle? Absolutely. Do not be self-condemned. When you fail and when there's weakness, you just go back to him and you call it out and say what it is and you plead Jesus' forgiveness that he's given freely because he knows it all. So Lord, help me here. This is what I need. It's you I want. Would you form your son in me? And he'll do it may do it different than you want, but he'll do it because that's who Jesus is. Amen? Let's pray.
We all need this, Lord. I know that. We can say lots of beautiful things that we want to see the glory of Christ shine, and it's true. We do. But sometimes we don't realize what that takes. It's our own submission to you, our own weakness to you, our own coming to you. And Lord, I, I pray that you would grant that today. You would enable it by faith. You know everybody here. You know how they heard these words from your word. And I just pray by your Holy Spirit, you would take it to every age here to the way they need to hear it. And help us to respond to you as would be good, Lord. Thank you for the church, the church that you love, the church that you died for. Thank you for Jesus and all that we're going to lean into this week. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.